0: And we're going to do things a little bit differently today. If you're visiting with us, normally we have a a pulpit thing up here, and normally I speak from up there. But today we're going to do something different. Today is the Lord's Supper. We're going to meditate on this a bit. I think it fits perfectly with the passage that we're already planning on looking at. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and we'd like to open to Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be in in Hebrews 4 all the way through uh, Hebrews 7. And uh, i got to tell you, this week as I've wrestled with this passage, um, I've really wrestled with how to consider this, how to think about this passage today. Not so much because of the message of the passage, but because um, of the fact that it discusses a subject that most of us are not very familiar with. The idea of a priest is not something that especially in the Christian church, we're really super familiar with the way that the writer of Hebrews, the way his first century readers would have thought about it. A lot of people might think, well, a, a priest is just an Old Testament pastor. And and so there are some things that overlap there, but there are other elements of that that really, um, I, I think, are things that we need to consider. And I think the other thing that I've really wrestled with is the challenge of knowing how to bring out certain parts that are m- meaningful to us, that are relevant, and yet at the same time, what things to choose to lay aside because there's so much rich depth in what what this, these chapters cover. And there's that other part of the interest factor. If you've been following along as we've studied the the book of Hebrews over these last few weeks, you know the big theme is what? Jesus is... Greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. And now we're going to look at Jesus being greater than the high priest, the greatest high priest, if you will. The argument is a lot the same. the, The writer of Hebrews goes through and methodically talks about Jesus' supremacy over all these things. And so there's a part of it, I can imagine if you were, if I was you and I'm sitting there listening to a pastor talk about Jesus being greater, I could sit there and think, okay, yeah, he's greater, he's greater, he's, and I don't want to do that. I want to be able to hopefully have us engage with some of the concepts that would have really been meaningful to those first century believers. I want to just encourage you, encourage us to really consider what it means for Jesus Christ to be the greatest priest. And so today we're going to consider his argument a bit. It might be a little bit predictable because as he did with the other things, his basic argument is Jesus is better. Here are the angels. They spoke the message to, to Moses, but who gave the message to the angels? Jesus. Jesus is better than Moses in what ways. And, and, and here's why. And the same thing is going to happen here today. And so I want to just, um, and, and encourage I want to just encourage you I'm not going to walk systematically through this text in fact I've given you an outline in in your notes there if you want to go back and read through this either just some of the headings from the from the ESV and how they've sort of organized and how they've laid it out there so in case you want to go back and study well what is he really saying Because frankly, if you look at that first one, Jesus is the great high priest. And he talks about what that means. And he ultimately finishes that section by saying, Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, you might be thinking, who in the world is Melchizedek? Well, then in that next section, in that warning in chapter 5, verses 11 to 6, 12, he, he really almost makes a big parenthetical statement he's saying, guys, I want you to pay attention to this. I don't want you to fall away. And then he jumps back to his whole argument. Or actually, before he jumps back to his argument, he establishes a new foundation. Saying, Look, the things that Abraham believed were based on the promises of God. Those were sure and steadfast promises. God is trustworthy. You can trust in what he is saying. And now... Let me explain the priestly order of melchizedek, so he 's got this big parenthetical statement right in the middle, and then he says, "And Jesus is the greatest high priest in the order of Melchizedek so in essence that 's where this thing is going that 's what he 's trying to get across, but I want us to think about this really with a few different questions, and that is, what do priests do we 're going to begin by that what? do priests do? You know, look at all sorts of different kinds of priests. We could think of a Buddhist priest or Buddhist monk. We could look at priests in various other religions, but for our purposes today, there are really, there, there, there are really a few ways that we need to limit it. We're going to look at it purely from the Jewish perspective. What do Jewish Levitical priests do? And one of the things that we talked briefly about last week is that we find that priests, ultimately represent humanity to God. Priests come before God and they say, hey, I have this person who has sacrificed an animal because of their sin, because of their unintentional sin, and I am now vouching for them before you. Please forgive them. They're very much an intermediary. Their job, I can imagine this, their job was messy as smelly. I mean, think about this. If you're a priest daily, you have to go to the temple. You have to think through all those sins, all those things that you may or may not have done, those things that you have said, all those things in order to be made right with God. So you come with an animal, you come with a sacrifice on your own and you kill it and you say, God, I'm sorry. I know my sin is weighty. Please forgive me. And then you get to welcome Joe Schmo. And he comes in and he says, oh, priest, I have sinned. Here's my animal. Here's my And so he kills these animals, burns them. So you can imagine what their garments were like, stained with the blood of all these sacrifices. Time and time again going before the altar of God, interceding on behalf of sinful humanity. But not only did priests do that, priests, you know, represented humans to God, but priests also were, were, were given the job of teaching the people about the covenant. I mean, imagine that beautiful opportunity when, when, when you come to the priest and, and you say, you know, I messed up in this way. And, and as you're killing the animal, he's, pre, he's burning it for you. He's praying for you before the altar. And then he comes back and get, it really it's a beautiful opportunity for him to say, Well, what can we do to help you not fall into that sin again? How can we help you be holy? You see, God has designed us to be a holy people. And so he was, the, the priests were really instructed to, to teach people about the covenant to teach them about the torah and how to how to live that out but also we get to see that priests had a job where they would counsel leaders and the nation they had a a a voice that was much bigger than any religious leader in our nation today and when we like to give voices to certain people certain people have have bigger louder voices than others and we think of of you know, we could think of any number of people years ago, Billy Graham had this great voice, and in some, some ways, people called him the, the president 's pastor. That really wasn 't his job. He was an evangelist, and yet they liked what he had to say, and so they would invite him to, to counsel and provide wisdom. But the priests, because Israel was really a theocracy, a, a, a monocratic or monar- monastic theocracy, the priests had a voice. Before the throne of the king They would advise and, and really challenge and help the king to to hear what God would be saying through them. So that's what, some of the things that priests would do. They also had jobs in the Old Testament. They had jobs of, of, of really preparing the temple, taking care of the, the building, or when they were in the wilderness, taking care of the tabernacle. They had this job to set it up and take it down and to move it around. and all that. It was very specific and very they had to be very careful about that. But it also kind of begs another question. What kinds of priests are there? What kind of priests are there? And really, you know, we could talk about all those other priests, Buddhist, and um, all these other types like that, animistic priests. But but as it pertains to us, we need to limit our study to two kinds. And the first is Levitical priests. Levitical priests. These are descendants of Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, that are of the tribe of Levi. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it says for every high priest is chosen from among men I'm sorry for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness and because of this he is obligated to offer a sacrifice for his own sins just as for those of the people these Levitical priests were, were called from among their brothers and sisters to serve in the temple, to serve the Lord. Some commentators have gleaned from scripture that there may have been priests from other tribes, but primarily the tribe of Levi was set aside as a priestly tribe. In fact, if you remember in the Exodus, as, as the Israelites are going into the promised land, as the land was doled out, The the Levites were basically given a couple of cities in each of the other tribes, in each of the other tribal allotments. But as 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 the people would give tithes, that would go to support the ministry of the Levites in all those cities. Now, the writer of Hebrew helps us to see that the Levitical priests, because they are fallen individuals, they would have to offer sacrifices to address their own sins, and then would offer sacrifices on behalf of others. And as I said, they were given special jobs in order to care for the tabernacle and the temple. But there's another kind of priest that we read about in Scripture. And here the the writer of Hebrews calls this a priestly order, and yet there's only two priests in this order. And that is Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a, he's a priest king. In fact, he's only mentioned twice in the entire old Testament. We read about him first in Genesis chapter 14. And then we also read about him briefly in Psalm 110 verse four. And yet he's given more real estate here in the book of Hebrews than he is in the entire old Testament. And that's when he lived. So let me give us a little background. Who is this guy Melchizedek? Melchizedek was a real man. He was a historical figure, and he was the king of Salem, or what, is what we now know as Jerusalem. He was the king of Jerusalem, and he was also priest to God Most High. In fact, the writer of Hebrews helps us to understand his name, because his name means, and this is beautiful, his name means king of righteousness, and his title as, as king of Jerusalem or king of Salem means king of peace. So in this one person in Melchizedek, you have the representation, what we're going to see later on, of Jesus Christ as the king of righteousness. The one true right king and the king of peace. Abraham and Melchizedek, in Genesis chapter 14, they met. After Abraham had rescued his, Lot, his, his nephew Lot, you see Lot had been taken, there had been some other kings, and so Abraham, being a wealthy guy, had like 300 guys with him. He goes and destroys these other kings. And he comes back to near Jerusalem, and he and Melchizedek get a chance to meet. And one of the things I find very interesting, I hadn't noticed this when I read about his account before, but Melchizedek comes to this meeting with Abraham bringing bread and wine. He shows up to this meeting with Abraham, bringing bread and wine. And the commentators didn't really talk about, well, what what does that mean? It's unclear if it means he was honoring Abraham or it's unclear if he's just being hospitable and providing some refreshment. But then, look at what it says in, in, in Genesis 14, verses 19 to 20. It says, And he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, And said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe. Abraham clearly saw Melchizedek as a representative of God, which is why I think he gave him a tithe. We can read about that more in, in Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. And while Melchizedek was an historical person, there is no record of his lineage or of his ancestry. He, we don't know where he came from. We don't know who his descendants are. So he's just this this um, enigmatic figure that stands out in, in Genesis. He's just there. Pops on the scene for a few verses and we never hear from him again until Psalm 110 and until Hebrews But I think he becomes a a sort of a foreshadow, a a glimpse into the future of a better priest, of a greater priest. So then it begs the question, which kind of priest is greater? We have the Levitical priest, and we have Melchizedek. One of the things you you find is that there's an entire book in the Old Testament dedicated to the roles and the responsibilities, the rules of what these Levitical priests would do. They played a major role throughout Israel's history. But the writer of Hebrews seems to indicate that a priest in the order of Melchizedek is more important, is greater, is superior than that of the Levites. Look at what it says in in Hebrews chapter 7 verses 4 through 10. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation just because it can, some of the, the other translations can feel a bit wooden. But look, look at what it says, Hebrews 7, 4 through 10. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that the priests, who are descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. The priests who collect tithes are men who die. And so Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites... The ones who collect the tithe paid a tithe to Melchizedek when when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected collected a tithe from him. So the essence of of his argument is this, that since the Levitical priests who are descendants of Abraham, paid a tithe through Abraham to Melchizedek, that all of the Levites would see Melchizedek as a superior or as a greater priest. And he uses this argument rooted in logic as a means of comparing the two priestly orders. There's also the sense in which Melchizedek has a permanence. He is said to have no beginning and no end. And that doesn't really mean, There's it, really what it means is there's no record of his birth or of his death. He just shows up. The Levitical priests served for certain times and, and they were limited by their own mortality. And so we get to the next question, which is really the important question, the question you already know the answer to, and that is what kind of priest is jesus what kind of priest is jesus you see the writer of hebrews argues that jesus is a priest in the order of melchizedek he's a priest in that line first of all you know all the levitical priests were from the tribe of levi but jesus as a priest is from the tribe of judah which is the royal line that's the line where all the kings came from but secondly just as melchizedek figuratively seemed to have a priest king title permanently so too Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, has that role forever as king and priest. Look at what it says in, in Hebrews seven twenty three to 25 It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus has a permanent position as priest and king. But not only that, we there are a couple of other qualities I think that we find, and that is that Jesus is relatable to us. He knows our weaknesses, and I, and I think that was one of the things the priests we saw, um, the writer of Hebrews talk about that the priests understood what it meant to sin, because they too were beset with sin, they too wrestled with that and struggled with it. Jesus understands and knows what it means for us to have emotional and physical pain. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Think about what it's like when you hear that bad news. It might be that devastating news. It might be that news that changes your entire day. Jesus understands that. Think about that pain of loss that you've experienced. That pain of loss when someone betrays you or that that pain of knowing that That you've been hurt because of someone else's words or actions. Jesus understands our pain. He relates to that. Think about what it's like when you're tempted. When you and I are tempted by something. I mean, Jesus was tempted with power. He was tempted with authority. And all he had to do was bow down and worship the devil. And he could have had it all. He knows the thirst of what power is. He knows the, the, what that causes in us. Some commentators suggested that Jesus may understand it more than we do. Because think about this. He came from heaven in utter purity, in utter holiness. So the stain of darkness, the stain of that temptation would, might affect him more than it would us. We we can easily be be deceived by all those things. And yet Jesus, being different, being holy, being pure, he feels that maybe more deeply than we do. He relates to us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And yet without sin. But also, because of the kind of priest that Jesus is, we have direct access to God. You see, in the tabernacle there was a, a, in the, and in the temple, there was a special place that was set aside that would only be opened once a year for the, for the high priest to go in. And he would, he would first sacrifice on his own behalf and he would present a, a request and prayer for the entire nation. And that was called the, the Holy of Holies or, or the Most Holy Place. It is in this place where the presence of God was revealed, where, where certain holy things, where the covenant was kept in, in, in the Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest would enter that on the Day of Atonement to intercede on behalf of the people of Israel. No one else was ever allowed in there. In fact, there was a, there was a tradition that the high priest would go in with a rope around his ankle that had, and with bells on his, on his ankle. And if he stopped moving too long, they assumed that he had fallen over dead because he had gone in in an unworthy manner. So they would yank him out so that no one else would suffer that same fate but with jesus one of the beautiful things we have in him is that because he came from heaven the writer of hebrews kind of implies that he came through the holy of holies and came out to be among us to to live and be that to die on the cross on our behalf and then went back up through the holy so that now we have direct access to god Hebrews six nineteen through 20 says we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In fact, after Jesus' death on the cross, there was a great earthquake. And the, uh, Matthew, the, the gospel writer, notes that the earth shook so much that in the temple, the, the veil between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this was not a, it's not like your curtains in your house. I mean, this is a 20, 30 foot tall, almost like velvet, really heavy weighted curtain. And it, tore apart signifying that jesus has now opened the access for us to come before him before god but also jesus is perfect he has no need even though he can relate to our sin even though he can relate to our our humanity because he is without sin he has no need to offer a sacrifice on his behalf because he is perfect You see, when people would come and offer sacrifices, they would have to bring the best that they had. And it could have no blemish. It could have no flaw. It could have no nothing. It couldn't have one leg shorter than the other. It couldn't be spotted. It couldn't be speckled. And sometimes those are the most beautiful sheep and goats that are there. Right, Glenn? Yeah. I mean, those I I love the goats that that Glenn and Lisa have. They're all full of color. And they're, they're black and white and white and black and brown and all. This is beautiful. But... As good as they are, they might get best in show, but they would not be good enough to be sacrificed on our behalf. They had to be perfect, spotless, blameless. And ultimately, realistically, none of the animals truly were. But Jesus himself, being truly perfect, he became that eternal perfect sacrifice on our behalf Hebrews seven twenty six to 27 says for it was indeed fitting that he should have that we should have such a high priest holy innocent unstained separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see, in Jesus, he showed us what perfect holiness is, what it means to be perfectly set apart for God's glory. And then sacrificed his life as a means of, toning, of, of atoning for all the ways that you and I fall short. This is why I wanted to do this from down here, because today, normally the first Sunday of the month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And the night before Jesus laid down his life as that sacrifice for our sins, Jesus instituted a new sacrament or a new ordinance. And in some ways it resembles the Passover. If you remember what, what that was like the, when the people of Israel were getting ready to leave Egypt, God told them you need to kill an animal, you need to put the blood of the animal on the doorpost, you need to eat this meal very fast, you need to really don't even sit down. you got to stand up, have your staff in your hand, have your sandals on your feet and scarf it up. Go to sleep that night and I will send the angel of death. And if he sees the blood, po- blood on your lentils on the doorpost, then he will pass over. But there's another sense in which this meal, this ordinance, represents Melchizedek's encounter with Abraham. As Melchizedek brought Abraham bread and wine for them to fellowship together. You see, Jesus used the bread and the wine of that meal to illustrate what he would do. Bread and wine seemed to be a, a sort of invitation to fellowship, It's an invitation to spend time together. It's an invitation to, to, to be in, in communion. We sometimes call this communion, but to be in communion with one another. It's an invitation to gather around the table. It's an invitation to meet with Jesus. And Jesus is that means by which we can meet with God. His broken body identifies with our weakness. And His spilled blood covers our sin. He doesn't have to keep on dying. He did it once. He got it right the first time. And it's good for all eternity. He chose to fellowship with us. And the question is, will we fellowship with Him? So normally we would do the Lord's Supper after the sermon. And I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging that we're only partway through the sermon. And we're going to pause and we're going to come back to it. But we're going to take a few moments just to consider that Jesus, our high priest, in the order of Melchizedek, just as Melchizedek came to Abraham with bread and wine, we have bread and juice because we're good Baptists. We get to consider the fact that we are together with one another. We're together with God because of what Jesus Christ did. So what's going to happen in just a few moments, Ethan is going to um, play a CD, play some music for us to just kind of meditate and reflect through. and, and, And while that's playing, I want to invite you to come up. And there are obviously four trays here. Two trays have bread and two trays have juice. And really what what the bread represents, as, as I said, is the broken body of Jesus Christ. He told his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. So when you come forward, let me encourage you to come and take one one cup that has bread in it. It looks a little like this. It's not empty, I promise. When you come up here, it's going to look empty. And then take one cup that has juice in it. And the way that we've been doing this the last couple of months is We'll just come, we'll, we always start on this side, so we'll start on this side. Alright, so Sandy, in the, after I pray, if you want to come and begin. Yeah, you, you get to be first. Do you want to be first? Alright. So let me encourage you to do this. You come to the center aisle and, and come and take your bread and juice and go back to your seat. And then um, at the end, when it gets all the way to the back, then you guys on the back on this side can come forward and, and uh, yeah, If you need help getting the elements, if you feel like you're unstable walking around, just raise your hand and I'll be happy to bring a tray to you. But let me just say two other things real briefly. This is set aside for people who are followers of Christ, who have trusted in that Jesus Christ died for their sin. And if that's not you, just stay where you're seated. There's no judgment. We'd love to have a conversation about that. But if you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to come and be a part of this. And kids, let me just encourage you too. Your parents have been given to you as, in order to shepherd and disciple you. So if, if they don't feel like you're ready for this, just stay where you're seated. But trust what your parents have in store. Let me pray for us. And then uh, we'll begin this time of fellowship together. God, we do thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for his gifts of life, His gift of salvation. Lord, thank You that we don't have to go daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, before an altar and kill an animal. Or thank You for what Jesus, You did for us on the cross once and for all time. Lord, we praise You. Thank You for that. As we celebrate Our communion with you as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Sandy, if you want to come, and begin. And then as the row in front of you comes, feel free to come to the center aisle and and make your way to the front. Come on. Well, as I mentioned, on the night before Jesus was crucified, he had a meal with his disciples. And he took a piece of bread during that meal and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after they finished the meal, he took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The Bible tells us that as often as we we drink this bread, drink eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, and I think it's a glorious thing that he will one day come again for us. And so, let me just finish out the sermon very briefly. I promise, not halfway, we're more than halfway through. But in light of the fact that Jesus is this great high priest, a high priest different than any other, and he is able to eternally mediate between us and God, then begs another question, what should we do? What should we do? with the fact that we have this great high priest. And thankfully, the writer of Hebrews gives us a couple of suggestions, a couple of recommendations. And the first one is this, that we hold fast. We see that in Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, keep in mind, the writer is is writing to people who are Jewish background believers. These people grew up culturally as Jewish. They grew up going to the temple all the time. They grew up listening in the synagogue and and obeying all of the laws of, of the Old Testament, all of the laws of the people of Israel. But they, at some point in time, came to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the promised one. And yet... Because of persecution, because of all these other elements, they're being pushed back into the old way. And so the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them and he's encouraging us to hold fast, hold on, hang on to, seize that confession. What is that confession? He, 1 Corinthians five fifteen three 3-4 kind of summarizes that beautifully when it says, For I delivered to you... As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Not as a magic trick, not as some show, but as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So hold fast, seize that. But the second thing the writer of Hebrews tells us is that we should draw near. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. See, we have no reason to fear coming before God. We have no reason to to be afraid when we come to him. Jesus did not pay for our sin with his life so that we could be saved. All alone. We don't have to go through a high priest who has to get himself clean in order to go into the Holy of Holies. We have one who has already given us direct access to God. So let us take advantage of that. Take advantage of the access that we have to God in prayer and fellowship He wants us to come to Him with our needs and our desires. He wants to reveal how He will meet our needs. And i got to admit, there may be times when God's going to meet our needs in ways that we don't fully understand. Ways we might kind of think, God, I wish you would have done it differently. But we have no reason to fear rejection. Because Jesus took our rejection on Himself. But there's a third thing I think that we need to be encouraged by from the writer of Hebrews, and that is we need to keep growing, that we need to build on the foundation of our faith. The writer here notes six of the basic, six characteristics of that basic foundation. What is our, our, our faith established on? And Warren Wearsby, he said, if you pair these up, they, they really create a beautiful picture of, of really what our, our foundation is. And he divides these pairs into three sections. And the first is upward. That is essentially repentance and faith. The Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and move on to maturity. Not laying a foundation, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. But this is where each of us have to begin. This is where we must begin our walk with God. We begin by repenting of our worthless works and our sinfulness in order to turn to God who through Jesus Christ paid for our sin. And we do that by faith. We do it once. You don't have to keep getting saved. You receive his salvation by faith once. And that's good for eternity. Laying aside those dead works. But secondly, not only do we have this upward motion, but we also have an inward and, and, and inward's not really the right word that I want for this, but it's, it's the best word that I could come up with. And, and that really deals with baptism and the laying on of hands. Look at what it says in Hebrews six in the first part of verse two, it says, and of instruction about washings or baptism and the laying on of hands. The Bible tells us that we should believe and then be baptized. And when we're baptized, we're essentially baptized into, and that's that inward part, into a body of believers. We become part of one another. And that group, that body of believers, that can then endorse the gifting that we have. They can say, hey, oh, I see God's hand in your life. And it's almost as though they're laying on hands on us in order to say, yes, you should serve in this way. You should minister in this way. God has, given, God has gifted you for this work, do that. And let me encourage you, if you've not yet taken that step of baptism, let me encourage you to consider taking that step. It's, it sometimes can be scary because you're up in front of a group of people. And yes, in, in one sense, it is a public profession of faith, but it's in, in another sense. And I, and I think a more true sense, it's a matter in which the church gets to come together and say, yes, I See that you are a follower of Christ, and we recognize that together. If you've not yet been baptized, talk to me afterwards. Let's, have, let's get together sometime, and we can talk about what that means. But i got to tell you, not only is baptism symbolic, kind of like a wedding ring. I often do this with the kids. When I take my wedding ring off, does that mean I'm no longer m- married? No, it's just a symbol of my marriage to Danielle. Baptism is much the same. It's very symbolic in that way. It's symbolized I'm dead to my old ways of thinking, my old ways of living, and I'm raised to newness of life in Jesus Christ. Now we get to walk in, in that. And there's a sense in which being in covenant with one another, we get to affirm and pray for and care for and exhort and love one another because we've been baptized into that body together. But thirdly, not only do we move upward, we build on a foundation that's upwardly focused, that's inwardly focused. We also build on a foundation that's forward focused or future focused. And that is resurrection and judgment. Hebrews 6, in the second part of verse 2, says the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You see, in, in having this forward thought, we recognize that there is more than just life here there's more we're living for more than just here and now there is a future resurrection there's a day when jesus is going to come back and say hey y'all let's get together again when the dead in christ will be raised to life again when we will be with him for eternity but there's also going to be a day of judgment a day when we will all give account for what we've done how we've lived we get to build on that foundation For believers, I believe this will be a future hope of rejoicing, knowing that Christ has taken the penalty of our sinfulness on Him. And He has sealed us for all eternity. Let me just close with this. You see, one of the things that the priest would do is he would encourage the people to be holy, to live in holiness, to walk in 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 live out what it means to be a man or woman of god mia can you come help me for a quick second Mia and i talked about this a little earlier and she is open to this i want you to holiness is kind of a difficult thing to grasp what what is it is it do's and don'ts is it thou shalt not or thou shalt it's it's all these things but i want you to look at it like this Clearly, I'm a different size than Mia is, right? So, Mia, go ahead and put my coat on. And I want you to look at it like this. Obviously, my coat does not fully fit Mia. And, and my coat is kind of old and, I don't know, maybe smelly. Is it smelly? I, never mind, don't say if it is or not. But here's what I want us to see. When Jesus Christ paid for our sin... And we received, Mia received my coat. Now she gets to sit, if if we imagine my coat is Jesus Christ, his righteousness, right? Remember, we talked about Melchizedek being the king of righteousness and king of peace. Jesus is that ultimate, eternal king of righteousness. And so when Mia put on my coat, it's as though we, by faith, put on Jesus Christ's righteousness. We put on his holiness. The problem is, his holiness doesn't fit us. Or we don't fit His holiness. So what we get to do is we continue to grow, as we continue to gather, as we continue to read the word, as we continue to talk to one another, as we continue to engage with one another, we get to learn what it means to be holy, how to how to think differently so that thinking muscles will be growing bigger, how to act differently so that we'll kind of grow into the holiness of Jesus Christ. And then one day he's going to come for us and he's going to say, wow, look at you. I see my son all over you. God's going to say, I see his holiness. Not just because she's wearing Christ's holiness, but because now she's grown into it. We get to grow into that maturity because of the high priest we have. We get one another to help us along that way. So if you've not yet put on by faith the holiness of Jesus Christ, like Mia has put on my coat, let's talk about that. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. That's what really the gospel is all about. It's a place to begin. And now we get to grow into that. And let me encourage you, brother or sister in Christ, if you are stagnant in your faith, if you're kind of feeling like this holiness doesn't fit very well, get with someone else. Say, hey, will you pray with me? Will you walk with me through that? I'm not fully living up to the things that Christ has called me to. I need you that's what discipleship groups when we get those going in homes are all about that's what sunday school is all about but really that's what we are all about as the body of christ does that make sense all right let's give mia a hand thank you mia i appreciate it and let me pray for us real quickly god thank you so much for what you've done through jesus christ for allowing us to take on his righteousness his holiness Lord, help us to grow up into that, fully honoring you. Thank you that we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses, understands our needs, and, and covered those eternally. Help us to walk in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.